0: Well, good morning, good morning, good morning, happy Sunday to you, happy Palm Sunday to you. It's so great to be in the house of the Lord. Can I get an amen? Amen. If you feel that way, come on now, it's good to be here, and it's good to be here on a sunny Sunday. Not a snowy Sunday, a sunny Sunday. And uh, man, oh man, when that sun shines in, it just makes church a little more enjoyable, I'll tell you that much. And uh, a little more hopeful, and so we're just so grateful you're here in the room. If you're watching online, hey, thanks so much for for checking us out, for staying connected with with your away, Maybe you're not feeling that great, and uh, we're just happy that you're checking us out. Listen, if you're kind of like on the outside wondering if it's okay to come on the inside, I want you to know we got seats for you. We're ready for you. We love to meet you and invite you into the room as we just believe there's just something about church that's more than just listening to content. It's about being together in community, isn't it? It's not just about listening to the information, but it's about being a part of the impartation of the Spirit as we gather together, and uh, so we want to invite you to come. So if you live in this area, Concarnia, come on over, we got room for you. We'll make room for you. Uh, Anyway, we are continuing our Easter series called Greater Love as we prepare for the Easter season, which is next weekend already. Can you believe it? Like, I can't believe we're already talking about halfway through April of 2020. 22, and we still don't have flying cars. Like, this doesn't make any sense to me. But here we are, and, uh, and we are just pushing through, and life is moving along, and our theme verse uh, for this series is found in John, we've seen it on the screen, John 15, it says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. And we realize that this is Jesus was forecasting to his disciples what was about to take place. They, they at this moment, really had no clue. They had no real concept of what was going to happen. But Jesus was giving them an inside scoop of what was going to take place for them. You see, because we understand that God's great love for us actually compelled him to do something. Compelled him to do something to make a way for our rescue and to redeem and restore The broken relationship that our sin, that our actions, that our filth rather, and our decisions created the gap between us and God. And Jesus came into the world to redeem and to restore that relationship. And last week we discovered, and kind of our our main point for last week was that greater love not just makes a way, but greater love continues to make a way back to God. That he comes into the the temple of our lives and he turns over the tables that have been built up to create a barrier between us and God. And so we're going to continue into this series today. And uh, if you've been following along, you can open the YouVersion Bible app. All our notes are there in our scriptures. You can create your own notes and save them for yourself for later if you so choose. Um, But those are there and you can follow along. But I want to ask you a question as we get started. Have you ever been swept up in a moment? Have you, ever been, have you ever been caught up in a, in commu, in a communal reaction? What do, you, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean, like what, remember back in high school, you're all sitting in the cafeteria, and someone comes and yells in the cafeteria, fight! And everyone gets up from where they're going, they run out, and they're like, fight, fight, fight! Everyone's jumping out, except for the good Christian kids. They're sitting at the table going, we're not supposed to fight. Everyone else, though, is there. They're yelling, fight! They're all in, jumping into the mix of what is going on. I remember several years ago, my brother... Uh, was working for a company where he had a little bit of an expense account to take, uh, you know, wealthy people and influential people and potential business customers to sporting events. And one time he was going to the Buffalo Bills game and one of the guys who was supposed to go with him kind of canceled last minute. And so he was passing by my door, he called me and says, listen, I'm going to the Bills game. I got an extra ticket. Pretend you're a client and you can come with me. I'm like, sounds awesome. So I jumped in the car. I'm, I, I'm like a casual football player, a, a football fan. I, I like watching in the playoffs primarily just the Super Bowl. Like, I don't even watch even the playoffs. Just, so I'm not like a football fan. But here's what happens. You go to an event like that, and I don't know if you've ever been like in this situation, and you are caught up in the moment. It is crazy. You see the tailgating, and you see cars that are parked, and everyone's having fun and maybe drinking a little too much, and they're yelling, and then you get into the game, and you're surrounded by strangers, and you're just caught up in the emotion. You're high-fiving, you're hugging, you're yelling at the refs. You're just swept up in the moment. I'm losing my voice. I'm getting so excited, and I don't even like football. I go home, and I don't even watch any more football, but in the moment... I'm swept up. I'm caught up in the crowd. You ever been in that moment? You ever been in that kind of a place? And you just get swept up in the moment. I, I remember even in 2015, I, for those of you who don't know, if you don't know this already about myself, I love baseball. We love watching the Blue Jays. Come on, let's hear it for the Blue Jays. Super exciting. Almost threw in the towel. Game one. Almost threw in the towel, but we didn't. We held on. That's when the faithful few stayed through. I tell you, that's the true fans showed up. Stayed through. Anyway, I remember watching, it was 2015, and we were watching the Blue Jays. You know, they were really on the one. They were on a good run, 2015. We were loving baseball as a family, and we were in Florida at that time. We were watching game five. It was the the game, you know, the game, game five, uh, and uh, it was Jose Bautista hit that home run you know that epic moment and he throws his bat it puts them into the lead and it's just this epic moment and the whole crowd goes crazy and I'm here watching it with my boys and my wife, I think, I think I'm, sure, I'm sure Wendy was there too, but I remember, I, there's one memory I remember that I'll never forget, is that we're jumping off the couch and we're so excited and we're just like high-fiving each other. And Hunter, he's about seven years old, I think, about the time, and he's just crying. He's crying. And he's like, I don't even know why I'm crying. I'm just so happy. And uh, he's not here today, so I can tell that story. <laughs> But uh, it was just like this moment and we were just swept up in the moment and it was just us, the four of us, but I know we were swept up, the whole nation was swept up in this moment and we are like that, we're so emotional, aren't we? We're so emotional as people and the truth is a lot of our reactions to the things are influenced by masses, aren't they? They're influenced by others and we get swept up into the relevance and the hysteria of the moment. Sometimes these moments are even justified. It's like when, when and here's another football reference for you, but when the, when, the, uh, the, when the New Orleans Saints defeated the Philadelphia Eagles in the postseason route, the very first postseason route to the NFC Championship, just a year after, the next year after Katrina just devastated New Orleans. It's sort of this like Cinderella story that you're just rooting for the home team. You're rooting for them because they had such a tragic year and you're kind of swept up into the moment that they made it to the champions. They lost in the championship, but they made it to the championship, you know. And there are other times you see where you're swept up in the moment the opposite way where, this is something I'll never fully understand, is that when your team does win, you go and destroy your city. Like you loot and vandalize and destroy your city as you celebrate the fact that your team just beat the other team, which doesn't make any sense to me, but you get swept up in the moment. And this happens to us, doesn't it? One of the things we see in the Gospel of Mark is is how often he emphasizes people's reactions, people's emotions and reactions towards Jesus, whether it was amazement or, or shock or confusion, joy or even indignation. And I imagine it was so easy to get swept up into the excitement. Jesus was speaking to thousands multiple times. Thousands of people are are on a hilltop. Thousands of people are following him. Can you just imagine what that would look like? What that would feel like? We know what it's like going to a Jays game or going to a Leafs game. You've seen thousands of people. But this is kind of happening on the hillsides. And in the countryside, thousands of people are leaving with just the shirt on their back, going and following this man. They're amazed. They're, they're swept up in the moment. I mean, Jesus was doing things that no one had ever done. He, he was saying things that people had never said. People were amazed by this man named Jesus, and some were beginning to see that he was maybe more than just a rabbi. Some were beginning to believe that he was more than just a good teacher. Some were beginning to believe that he was actually the Messiah, the long-awaited Son of God. And we're swept swept up in the moment. As as we kick off this holy week, this this passion week, as we gear towards Easter weekend, I want to take a moment and dive into two scenarios where people were swept up in the moment, where the crowds were swept up in Emotion And just sort of, if we can glean from this a little bit of how Jesus responded and, 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 and more, in, in better context to even our, theor- our theories, like how his greater love, what, what kind of greater love is, is, is in this, is, is resembled in this context for today. And so the first one is found in Mark eleven seven 7 to 10. As Jesus rode into Jerusalem, we read this text. It says, when they brought the colt to Jesus, they threw their cloaks on it and he sat on it. And many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches that they had cut in the fields. And, they, and those that went ahead and those who followed, what did they do? They shouted, Hosanna! Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! And blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David! Hosanna in the highest. We have this beautiful picture and you can imagine as palm branches are being waved, as colorful garments are being thrown on the ground, as Jesus is riding in. There's this entourage of people going ahead and there's this entourage of people who are following in this beautiful parade, this beautiful procession of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords as people are declaring that God is here. People began to stir and suddenly everyone was getting swept up in. And I believe there were people who were not really sure what was going on, but they knew something was going on. And so they, they followed in, they migrated in and they, they joined into the crowd. They they started chanting and cheering. Even maybe some of them didn't even know what was up, but they chanted and they cheered. They got swept up in the emotion. You see this phrase in the highest. In the highest, it implies this utmost highest degree or the highest of heavens. Many scholars believe that people were like calling on heaven to participate. They're calling on heaven, on the angels to participate in glorifying Jesus with cries of salvation to confirm the growing suspicion that he was the promised Messiah. Listen, they were declaring that this was the man. This was the person that we have been waiting for for thousands of years. This is him. And for the last three years, the people had seen and they heard these stories and these amazing miracles and and revolutionary teaching and authoritative teaching and and these shouts of adoration showed that at least for some of them, at least for some of them in that crowd, they truly believed that this was the Messiah. That he was finally riding in to bring salvation and to free them from the Roman captors, captors and establishing an eternal, everlasting kingdom. I imagine it was a beautiful day. Like, I imagine the excitement. I, I imagine that just the, just the tone of the day would have just been full of joy and hope and expectation. You, you know, you've been in those kind of moments, those kind of carnivals, those kind of excitement where you just, the energy can just, as the, the environment is just about to explode. Everyone is so. Happy and excited, it's like you're forgiving your neighbors, you're hugging your mothers in law, lo- your mother-in-law, like everything is good. <laughs> that is a miracle for some of you, right? Anyway, it's a miracle, it's a good day, you know. It's a good day, but the sweeping hope-filled emotion didn't last forever. In fact, it was only a few days later. It was only a few days later that the same crowd who cheered when Jesus arrived began chanting for his death. Swept up in a moment. The same crowd that cheered for his arrival, that was proclaiming Hosanna in the highest King of Kings, and Lord of all, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, a few days later began chanting for his death. Crucifying crucify him. We see this in just a few chapters later in the Gospel of Mark. It's that Pilate is talking to the mob. He, he's speaking to the crowd and at the head of this are the Pharisees and the Sadducees who are, who are plotting this plan, who are working hard to, to crucify Jesus, put an end to this blasphemer who, who is disrupting their religious sect and their religious order and their, their position in Jerusalem. And they, 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 they manipulate the mob to go with them in their favor, and Pilate is addressing the mob. He's addressing the people. He's like, "What shall I do then with the one that you call the King of the Jews?" "Crucify them!" they shouted. "What? What? what crime has he committed?" said Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, "Crucify him!" wanting to satisfy the crowd. Pilate released Barabbas to them, and they flogged they had Jesus flogged, and they handed him over to be crucified. Like, not even a couple days later, three or four days later, we're seeing this complete shift in the dynamic and the tension and the texture and the tone of the crowd. Swept up in a moment. Here the Pharisees incited the crowd. They incited the crowd to demand Jesus to to die a gruesome death reserved only for the worst of the worst in fact this type of death on the cross was even illegal to sentence to any roman citizen because it was so gruesome but the but the pharisees incited such rise against jesus and on this side of history it's easy to cast judgment it's easy to shame all these people how how, how could they be so fickle like how could they go from one extreme to the other in such a short Amount of time we look at it with such judgment, we don't understand it. How could they be swept up in the moment and actually miss the Messiah, the one they've been waiting for for thousands of years, and is right in front of them? And how can they miss it? Like Peter, like the Apostle Peter, we think to ourselves, we would never do that. Like we would never let ourselves be swept up in emotion of the crowd or, or deny Jesus with our thoughts or with our words or our actions, but if we were honest with ourselves, if we were allowed ourselves just to be a little bit vulnerable, if we allowed ourselves to be a little bit truthful, if we got off our perch for a moment, we, would all, we all are led by our emotions at times, aren't we? We're all swept up in the moment. And, and in moments, we place our present and temporary feelings and frustrations and pain and discomforts Ahead of Jesus. times we place our wants, our immediate wants, ahead of Jesus. And in doing so, we become part of the crowd. And in doing so, we become part of the problem. And in doing so, we become the mission to which Jesus came into this world. See, Romans 8, 5, 8 says, For God demonstrated his own love for this, that while we, all, we, all of us were sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't just die for the few in that moment. He didn't just die for the reckless, the Jews who missed the moment in that moment. He didn't just die for the few who were swept up in emotions. No, while we were all of us were sinners, while all of us were far from God, while all of us were going on our own way and, and chanting, crucifying with our actions and our words, Christ still. His greater love compelled him to do something, to come into this world and to make a way back to God. And so in here, we actually get a a glimpse, get another glimpse of what this greater love actually means. You see, greater love is not fickle. It is not emotional. Greater love, rather, is motivated by mission. Greater love is motivated by mission. You see, Jesus was on a mission. Jesus was on a mission to tear down the veil between God and man and to render our sin powerless, to defeat death, and to set us free. And nothing was going to stop him from fulfilling his mission to rescue us. But here's the crazy thing about it. This is, this is the thing that blows my mind. As Jesus was riding on that colt, the week before, riding into Jerusalem and as people were waving palm branches and, and they, were, they were engaging with, they were praising Hosanna and, and giving shouts of adoration in that same moment, as Jesus was walking, riding in, he knew exactly what was about to take place. He knew exactly that he would be betrayed by a friend. And many of us have been betrayed by a friend. We know what that feels like. He knew exactly that he would be beaten with an inch of his life. He knew that he would suffer. He knew that he would be humiliated. He knew that he'd be subject to a criminal's death, but he did it anyway. He did it anyway. He wasn't led by emotion. He was motivated by mission. Why? Because he loves us so deeply, so completely, and so unconditionally. And we ask ourselves in our minds, because let's be honest, that that's, that's extreme. Right? That is, that's greater, that's greater-er-er. Like that's, that's next level love. And how and why could he do this? What, what did he know that we don't know? What did he know that we should know as followers of Jesus? And the answer, Alec Trebet, is everything. You need to know everything. There's so much that he knows that we don't know. But in the context of this scripture, in the context of this story, there are three things I just want to draw out while we're with our time together. And these, this 25 minutes that I get goes by really quick. Jeepers, creepers. So hang with me, all right? Are you still with me? Are you still with me online? Or do you pause, walk away, get a coffee, go to the washroom? Jeepers. Anyway, three things I want to show to you, okay? Three things that I have been pulling from this scripture. One, is that obedience begins with humility. Jesus knew that obedience begins with humility. Listen, what does what Philippians 2.8 says? It says, in being found in the appearance of man, Jesus, he humbled himself by becoming what? Obedient to death. And not just obedient to death, but death on a cross. Jesus humbled himself to be obedient to the type of death that was necessary for you and me. I love this moment, we're kind of fast forwarding a little bit from Palm Sunday, but he's in the Garden of, Garden of Gethsemane, and he's having that final prayer before the soldiers come and harass him, and he's praying to the God, and Scripture, if you read Mark, he talks about how he's just overcome, he, he's overwhelmed, he's overcome with emotions, and he prays to the Father, he says, Abba, Father, nothing is impossible for you, anything is possible for you, if possible, take this cup from me, you know, he's like, listen, if there's a way not to die this way, I'm all ears. You know, if there is a way not to go through this pain, if there's a way not to suffer in this way, then I am ready, and I believe there is. You know, all things are possible. But then he says this one prayer that becomes the, the prayer, the moment. Not my will, but your will. Not my will, but your will. I, I, I humble myself to become obedient to your will, to your plan. You see, I've, I've, I've discovered, I'm kind of observing things as I grow older. Turning 42 this year, I'm getting real old. As you grow older, I realize that you can be humble without being obedient, right? You can be a humble person and still do what you want to do. You, know, you, can, be, you can be humble and still kind of chart your own path and, and live your own life. But you know what you can't? You cannot be obedient without being humble. You cannot be obedient to the direction and to the will and to the plan of another without first humbling yourself to that person. Whether it's a husband and wife as they submit one to another, whether it's children who honor their parents, whether it's an employee who honors a boss, it doesn't matter. If you are going to be an obedient person, you have to first learn humility, to operate in humility. And Jesus models this idea of humility in order to walk in obedience. I love how C.S. Lewis, he says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself, but actually thinking of yourself less. True humility isn't thinking less of yourself, but actually thinking of yourself less. And this is what Jesus modeled, wasn't it? Jesus was not thinking of himself. He was thinking less of himself as he endured, as he walked through, as he submitted himself to obedience, because who was he thinking about? He was thinking about you and me. He wasn't thinking about himself. He was thinking about you and me more then he was thinking about himself and peter no doubtly witnessed this no doubtly peter watched jesus and sometimes even some of the closest perspective he he was one of the closest of jesus's friends and saw jesus in the highs and in those moments of desperation those moments where he was overwhelmed and he could sense that god was doing more like he was he was there in those moments Peter saw, you know, he was the one who denied Jesus. And and imagine he had that moment where Jesus and him had made eye contact after that moment where he just felt shame. And he he honored, he saw all this. He saw Jesus submit himself to death, even death on a cross. But then three days later, he also witnessed how God raised him from the dead, how God glorified him. And he writes in 1 Peter 5, he says, Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, what? That he may lift you up. That, That God will lift you up. Because we humble ourselves God will lift us up in due time. So how do we emulate God's greater love? It begins with humility. It begins with humbling ourselves by submitting ourselves to God's greater plan for our lives, to walk in faith and obedience and believing that at the right time and in the right moment, He will lift us up and He will accomplish in us and through us His greater plan. we got to keep going. The second thing I've realized that as I pulled from this scripture is that joy produces strength. Joy produces Produces strength. Hebrews 12.2 says, For the joy set before him, what did he do? He endured. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What does endure mean? Listen, this is not a nice word. It's a nice word, but it's not a nice word because what endure means is actually to suffer patiently, which is such an oxymoron. But to endure something means to suffer patiently. How do you suffer patiently? The only way you and I can suffer patiently is when we know more than they know. It's the only way. When we see more than they see, when we understand that there's something greater happening than what you are trying to do to me right now in this moment. There's a bigger picture at play. And Jesus endured for the joy set before him, he endured. He he suffered patiently. And Nehemiah talks about how the joy of the Lord, what? Is our strength, right? The joy of the Lord is our strength. And what is this joy that Jesus had? What is this joy that was his strength? It's the joy of redeeming and restoring us into right relationship with God. It was to make us the children of God and to give us everlasting life. Jesus had an eternal perspective. He didn't just see what they were trying to do. He saw more than they were trying to do. John Maxwell, I use this quote all the time when I'm talking to our our team, is that leaders see more than before. Leaders see more than before and before. Jesus saw more than what people could see, and he saw long before they could see. He knew what was going to happen. He had, he had a greater vision for more and before, and Jesus had that. That's what he endured, because he could see. He patiently suffered, because he saw more and before. And as he struggled, and as he suffered, the thought of restoring you and I back into relationship with God gave him joy and the strength to Endure. Many of us have seen these movies, the Passion movies or the Jesus movies, and, and we see how they depict how he's carrying the cross, and he falls because he's just exhausted, but he musters the will. He musters the courage. He musters the strength to pick up the cross and endure. And I believe the only way he could do that because he saw beyond the cross. He saw you, and he saw me, and he saw what he was trying to to do, and what he was working on, and he was following the will of God, the will of his Father, and so the joy set before him, you are the joy. You are the joy that he patiently suffered. It's a reminder today that we need it, isn't it, as we reflect on the greater love to maintain this eternal perspective. Every one of us need to maintain this eternal perspective to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, on the hope of eternity. If we walk through life, Don talked about this a little bit in his prayer. If we walk through life focused down, all we see is our problems, all we see is our circumstances, all we see is our challenges, all we see is our trials. If all we do is look down, we'll never succeed in life because we're consumed by it. As we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, we are given the ability to patiently endure, to suffer through the seasons of life that happen more frequently. But joy produces strength. The joy of the Lord. And last thing, really quick, is that this moment, this moment, this was his mission. Like this is why Jesus came. Jesus came as a baby, born to die. Which is a foreign thought for us to even get our head wrapped around of how that could even take place. But Jesus was born to die. Jesus willingly entered Jerusalem knowing full well what would happen because he believed with his full heart that you and I were worth it. That the people were worth the temporary pain. That you and I were worth the short-lived, temporary, excruciating, albeit excruciating pain. But you and I were worth it. And Psalm 18 says, listen, he rescued us. Why? Because he delights in us. He rescued you because he delights in you. He rescues me because he delights in me. He finds delight in us. We are his heart. As a parent, any good parent would do whatever they could to protect their child. Any good parent whose child is the delight of their heart would suffer consequences to protect their child. How much more would the heart of God suffer to protect you and I of those he delights in? We were His mission. John 3.16 For God so loved the world. We know this. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. This was the mission. This is the gospel. This is the Easter story. Peter again says in 1 Peter 2 that He bore Himself our sins in his body on the cross so that we may die to our sins but then live for righteousness, that by his wounds we are healed. Jesus knew what he was out to accomplish. And so greater love is motivated by mission. Why? Because you and I are the mission. You and I are the mission. And he delighted in us So deeply and so passionately that he patiently endured suffering. So what's our response to this greater love? What's our response today to this reality of this greater love that is motivated by mission? There's two things we can do. One, first, we can accept it. Maybe you're here today and you've never accepted God's greater love for your life. You've never accepted the love of Jesus. You've never accepted this truth and you never engaged in this relationship. Today is that day. Whether you're in the room or where you're watching online, I'm, I'm telling you today, tell you, today is the day where you can simply respond and accept and begin the relationship with God to receive His greater love. The second thing we can do is we can participate in the mission. Listen, if you've received this greater love, then we have an opportunity. And dare I say, the responsibility to participate in the mission. To humble ourselves. To walk in obedience. And at times, hear me now, don't don't throw stones. Even suffer. At times, we even need to suffer patiently with an eternal perspective. Because greater love is not fickle greater love isn't casual. Greater love isn't tossed to and fro. Greater love is motivated by mission. And here's a thought I want you to think about today in your situation. Because sometimes we can say, well, you don't know how hard it is. You don't know how challenging my situation is. You don't know how hard it is. Maybe you're the only believer in your home, or maybe your spouse isn't following Jesus, or maybe you're in a, maybe you're you're in, you know you're 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 overcome with sickness and hurt, and you can never see how God. Why is God healing that person but not healing me? Or why am I struggling and that person is not struggling? And you can paint yourself this victim, and you can you can give yourself this scenario that it just seems impossible to actually live the love of God. Can I here tell you today, based on the story we're reading and the gospel story, the Easter story, is that the moment you're in? doesn't stop the mission you're on. The moment you're in doesn't pause the mission you're on. We have a mission to God despite of what we see, despite of what we feel, despite our circumstances. We are motivated by mission to patiently and silently endure. Endure. I know life isn't easy, and I know life is difficult and even painful, but God's love is greater, and greater love doesn't give up on us. And I believe that greater love and our response to God cannot give up on Him. We push through. With Him as our focus. With the joy of the Lord as our strength, we humble ourselves and make us obedient to whatever lies ahead, even if whatever lies ahead is not awesome even whatever lies ahead is a bad day. We patiently suffer. We endure. And we put Jesus first. So here's my prayer for you today. If you're going to get swept up in a moment, if you're going to get swept up in a moment, get swept up in the reality of who Jesus is and what he has done for you. If you're going to get swept up in a moment, get swept up in the spirit of God as he leads us to accomplish his work that he's called for us to do, which is what? It's really simple. It's to tell people about Jesus. It's to live a life of overflow, of joy, hope, peace, so that others may know and see that Jesus that you and I. Received. I'm gonna invite you to stand to your feet. Listen, the band's gonna lead us in a song in a moment, Hosanna. And listen, the beautiful part of this is that we declare that God is good even if our situation is not. You know, that that God doesn't change, that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that He is good even if our situation is not. And so, as we cry out Hosanna, it's not dependent on your feelings. It's not dependent on your situation. It's all rooted and dependent on who God is. And so, as that band continues to lead us today, as that ba- as the band leads us in the song of Hosanna, I want us to raise our palm branches, to raise our hands. And I know, I know, this is going to be awkward for you—not for all of you, but for some of you. But you think it was? This, do you think this was awkward? Like I'm not trying to shame anybody. I, I'm not. But I, sometimes we need a little bit of like tough love, right? We need a little bit of tough love. And some of us are just we're, we're we're like, okay, God, you got my heart, but my hands are in my pocket. No, no, no. Come on, Jesus gave His whole life. He gave His whole self. The least we can do is give Him ourself. The least we can do is push on our emotions and how we feel right now, and say, God. You gave everything for me, and today I'm going to give you as much as I have to give, and I don't, might even feel like just a little bit, but I'm going to give you everything I have. Can we just lift up our hands? Come on, I want to encourage you across this place. God, we just declare your praise. Lord, we just cry Hosanna in this place. We cry Hosanna. Come on. We cry Hosanna in this place. We declare glory is He. Great is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is He. Come on praise you, Jesus. We praise you in this place, God. Hosanna in the highest. Let's go and praise him today.